So when they would coach me, I, t- I started in the beginning to take everything personal. I was a perfectionist. I, I mean, I still am, but um, I learned, I would just would take things so personal. So if they're getting onto me, ripping me, you know, I would take it personal and I'd kind of go into myself. And back then, you know, they're telling you it's selfish and it's this and it's that. And I would never understand, like, I'm not selfish. I'm not a selfish person. But I didn't look at how things were hindering my teammates, hindering my performance. And I just didn't get that piece. And um, some, and then it was hurting my, my play as well. So um, through a lot of talks with my head coaches, or my head coach and my assistant coaches, and, you know, figuring out my role uh, with the team each year, every year my role changed but figuring out what I was good at and just bringing that every single day, not trying to compare myself to situations and, you know, take everything personal. And then my game just, once I found my role, my game just kind of, you know, expanded. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring professional athletes who have taken their careers overseas. We'll hear about their seasons come and gone the process, their struggles, and what it's been like living and playing overseas. We'll also talk academics and the differences between the European and the American systems. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 12-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Let's get to it. All right, I hope everyone's February is off to the best start possible. Welcome back to another week here on the pod. Today, we are going to hear from the Florida girl herself, a seminal through and through, pull-up J specialist and world traveler, Brittany Brown. Brittany attended Florida State University, broke a bunch of records, majored in sports management, and at the end of her career was called to participate in the Los Angeles Sparks training camp, who happened to be the reigning champs the year before. She's in her fourth year playing professional basketball overseas, and she was nice enough to get together on her off day to chat with me and tell me about her athletic and academic journeys. She's got quite a few stories to tell and a wealth of knowledge to share. So get comfortable wherever you are and listen in, because here's the woman herself, Brittany Brown. Brittany Brown, hello. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a while. Uh, how are you and where are you? I'm doing good. I'm in um, Saloui, Germany. Um, it's well, actually, it's like a, I think the, the city is Saarland. Um, Saarland, S A R land. Yeah, Saarland. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is year, year four in, in playing for Saloui Royals. Okay. I'm trying to, I don't know geography with Germany. Are you like in the north, south, east, west? I'm right by Lexingburg. Oh, so you're like pretty close to the French border. Yeah, I think it's like two hours drive, I believe. Okay. And then that little country, yeah, that's Luxembourg. Huh. Okay. And last year? Last year I was in um, Keltern. Um, that was about 30 minutes from Stuttgart. All right, and just jumping right into the to the interview, I'm curious, what's your first sports memory when you were a little kid? It doesn't have to be basketball, but the first thing you remember about sports. Uh, my first sports memory was 
um, probably around when I was five, my mother actually gave me a, a Florida Gators basketball um, and just kind of put it in my hands. I had the little small, you know, those little, uh, the little just play kids goals mm-hmm. at home. And I was just fooling on one of those. And then I think that next year is when I went to my first basketball camp, um, actually to Florida as well. Wow. So, yeah. Starts when young. I started mm-hmm. around six years old. Um, and I know the answer to this, but for everybody listening, so I'm assuming, uh, did you grow up in a sports minded family? Yes, I did. So, um, of course it was never forced, but my, my mom and my dad both are high school coaches, um, at the high school back home. And, uh, they've been doing that for about, I believe 25 years now. So, you know, I was the coach's kid, just always running around them and around the girls at the high school and, and things like that. So it's just, you know, my, my grandfather and my uncles and things like that, they were super big on sports too. So it's just, it's just a family thing, been around it my whole life. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, story because you don't hear about too many married couples that are coaching together. Um, mm-hmm. Is your mom the head coach and your dad is an assistant or? Well, now they shifted. My, my dad is now the head coach. Um, my mother was the head coach when they first moved to Fort Walton Beach. Um, but once she got pregnant with my brother, so that's the, the baby, she um, decided she needed, you know, to kind of transfer over and less responsibilities and pressure as the head coach. So um, he's, my dad's probably been the head for maybe, maybe 14 years now. Okay. So something like that. So um, yeah, my mom probably did the first 10, 12 of them mm-hmm. when they first moved there. And you're the oldest of three, so it goes you, then your sister, and then your baby brother. Yeah, so my sister Gabby, she's 21 now, and Jace, uh, my little brother, he is 15. Yeah, and I saw that he's dunking these days. Man, yes, (laughs) and I was blessed actually to be home to to see it. He uh, he's been practicing so hard to try to get it, and he had a breakaway steal with so many seconds left in the game. So he went for it and he barely got it over the rim, but he, he got it. It was a dunk for me. So wow. yeah, it, was, it was, it was a dope moment. Can you imagine being able to dunk when you were 15? No, like. I wish. <laughs> I wish. I, it, I mean, I don't even, I remember one time that uh, I, I started to grab the rim. I think I was actually like 10th grade. I could go up there and grab the rim, but like, then the older I got, I couldn't even nip that thing. Like I wasn't even close to getting there. I can't, getting, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that you, I mean, part of me can believe it because you have a crazy vertical, but you're what, like five foot eight? Well, yeah. Five, five, seven, seven and some change. <laughs> but with, with shoes, you got to give me five, eight. <laughs> so, I mean, you're five, eight, I'm six feet. And mm-hmm. I have never been close to the rim. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. highest I think I would ever get in high school was I could slap the, ba- the bottom of the backboard when I went up for mm-hmm. a layup, but that was mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. And for a 15-year-old, you know, young kid to be able to go up there and dunk it in a game, just, I can't help but feel a little jealous. <laughs> yeah, facts. He's, it comes easier to them, but you can't tell him nothing. That boy, he runs up and slaps the backboard. Like, just lay the ball up. He's got, you know, boys got to lay it up and slap the backboard and be all cool like that. So, yeah, but. I think I saw, I was another video on your Instagram. Um, 
not too long ago, but the three of you were at the gym. I'm assuming mm -hmm. maybe the Choctaw High School gym, mm -hmm. and yes. you had the camera going, and you guys are playing one on one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was just I watching and laughing because I have two older brothers, you know, but mm -hmm. I'm the younger one. Um, mm -hmm. And it's evident that you do not take it easy on either of those two. Mm -mm, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're they're all in their different stages. You know, Gabby's a she's a senior now and at her college and Jace is a sophomore and they're both like, you know, trying to to find themselves where they're at and, you know, play and stuff like that. So the little bit that I've experienced, you know, I, I try to instill it in them. But I kind of have had a hard time adjusting to sometimes I kind of want them to view things how I do. And I've, I'm learning that they got to kind of do it themselves. You know, they got to figure it out on themselves. But when we're, you know, playing one-on-one -on -one and stuff like that, I rough them up and talk to them. It's different coming from the sister. You know, if they could take it from me, they could take it from anybody. So that's what I try to do when I, when I play them. And they, they try me sometimes. They get it twisted because I'm not home. So, you know, but it, it's, it was good. It was, it was funny. It's I had a lot of people telling me they loved seeing that. And I don't even really record many things, but I just, you know, I, I don't know. I just Yeah, it. no, it was mm -hmm. great. Um, and how tall is your brother now? He's, if he's not 5'11", he's definitely 5'11". He might be six foot since I've last seen him. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but he's, he's close. He, I'm hoping he gets in that six foot range because my dad's 5'11". My mom's like 5'4". So uh-huh you know he's and he's a 10th grader so I'm hoping he can get get there right so he's mm -hmm. he's taller than you but I would think that you still have him on strength yeah I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I definitely think overall but I mean he's it, I'm fine I'm seeing that defining moment a little bit even when we were playing some this summer I'm like oh lord he was you know he hit me one time or we tied up one time and I'm like okay you know he's getting yeah 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna be bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, that's yeah. just, that's just mother nature, but, um, mm -hmm. he's your baby brother still, and you got to keep him in check, you know, you right. got to keep him in check. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so when did you start taking basketball seriously? Would you say? To be honest with you, I'd probably have to say when I was six, when I went to my first basketball camp, my, um, I don't know, my parents were super on it about like, you know, if, this is what you want to do and being serious about it, that they would invest in it. And so like um, for me, which was a big form of my recruitment, actually, that I think people don't really understand now. Like I went to my first camp when I was in six, when I was six years old. And then from, so I was like my first grade summer. So from there on, like all the way through fifth grade, I went to summer camps at Florida. And then this head coach got fired, Carolyn Peck at Florida that I absolutely love. So my mom was like, all right, you know, big Florida fan. She's like, let's try Florida State. And so I went to Florida State camp from sixth grade to 12th. And Interesting. You know, so, and then where I'm from, it's not very big as far as um, exposure. So I started with camps, you know, my parents helped me with that. And then AAU and things like that, getting out of the city. But yeah, man, I'd for sure. Like I, I loved it. I was always around it. I had boy cousins. I kind of grew up and we were always playing sports, but I don't know. Once I kind of got out of Fort Walton and just saw the, all the opportunities, you know, and you see all the different people that are competing for the same type of stuff. It was just, I don't know. I just fell in love with it. How far yeah. away is Florida state from your house? Two and a half hours. 
So okay. it's not, not far at all. Florida is about four. So when so. you were going to these camps, were they overnight camps? Yeah. So they would, um, I don't, when I was younger, I don't think they had many individual, probably be like two or three. When I got to high school, middle school, I think they developed to like two days, one day. Um, but they would be like three days. So me and my parents would drive up, we'd go to the camp and then we'd stay the night in a hotel. But so we were like the commuters or whatever, but I know some kids, I think they had like the, like the dorms, like they would have dorms available for the kids to stay there. Right. Cause if you were only six or seven years old to be yeah, staying nah. the night, that's a uh, start mm-hmm. young. Yeah. Nah, I, well, actually my first experience was that I was in sixth grade and I went to Florida state camp. And that was the first time my mom, you know, they sign you up, get your stuff, blah, blah, blah. Camp starts at one or 12 or something. And my mom was like, all right, well, we're going to leave you. And that was the first time they had left me to make friends and stuff like that. And I had never experienced that. You know, I was like, man, I can't make no friends, (laughs) but uh, I don't want to talk to people, you know? So that was actually my first experience with that. But yeah, when I got middle school, high school, they kind of let me, you know, let me figure it out. Right. And you're so Mm -hmm. social, uh, I feel like, and so outgoing. When you're young and you don't know anybody, you know, you kind of have to test the waters, maybe be quiet at first. And then I'm sure by the end of camp, you were. Yeah, I was fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, So what was it like when you started getting into high school? Obviously, you were taking basketball seriously, balancing academics and sports. Was that difficult at all for you? Were there obstacles or did you feel like it wasn't too tough. Um, for me, my, my freshman year. So coming out of eighth grade to ninth grade was the difficult, the most difficult one. I, um, just with like time management, I didn't under, like, I didn't understand that piece of it. And so I struggled a little bit with, um, just the the courses and practices. And, uh, I didn't really do much in my free time, like, you know, hanging out with friends and things like that. Um, my parents were pretty strict on stuff like that. Um, and then back then too, I wasn't allowed to have any social medias. So, um, and it, it wasn't the same then either, you know? Um, so I didn't really have those type of distractions, but so it literally was just school, boys and girls club, basketball, just repeated over. But um, I would probably have to say the time management though, with the schoolwork and out of school type activities and things like that, just knowing, you know, if I, if I have a game at 7 p.m., I might need to knock this homework out the night before or, or stuff like that. I had to get organized, you know, having a planner and all that type of stuff. I didn't, I didn't know how to do all that. Mm-hmm. When did mm-hmm. you start playing varsity? <laughs> My freshman year. Your freshman year? Okay. Yeah, but that, that was the thing, you know, because parents were the coaches and, you know, that, that you got that whole story, but yeah, my freshman year. Yeah, that must have been a little difficult. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, you're in it, you're, you're playing. Did you know, well, of course, if you were going to these basketball camps, you knew about college basketball. You knew that playing collegiately was a, was a, a reality mm-hmm. or a potential opportunity. When I was, I didn't even really realize I could go to college to play basketball until the summer of my going into my junior year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was the first time I had played AAU and I was like, Oh wow, I can get a scholarship. I can do this. But I'm assuming that you kind of knew about scholarships pretty early. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did just from going to those camps. It really clicked that fifth, sixth grade. Go, and then once I started going to Florida State, and then I was seeing the recruiting, you know, process. But I don't know. It's funny you say that because there's there's so many people that don't get the same opportunities I had just alone because my parents took me to those camps. You know, not everyone has money to spend on taking your kid to a camp every summer. Not saying my parents were wealthy like that, but, you know, they cut their corners and did what they could because they knew that was something I wanted to do. Um, but it's, it's just difficult. You don't have those people too that are telling you that those opportunities are go out, to go out there. Like now I can tell my little brother and sister, hey, let's go to these camps in the summer. This is another form of recruitment that people say, oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, go to a camp. I'll just do AAU. But where are those AAU programs traveling to? Are they playing in the big states or are you just playing locally? You, you know, exposures, are, I don't know. And, it, and it's varied over the, over the years I'm seeing just with the transition with my brother, but um, so yeah. When did you start playing AAU? My seventh grade year. Um, so I was going into my eighth grade so that seventh grade summer, I started with a local team, FDD. Um, and so the guy that coached the AAU program was a, he was the girls coach in Niceville. It was about, that's about 15 minutes for me. So it's like a local high school. Mm-hmm. And he developed a, um, it's actually like a Christian base. Like it was faithfulness, discipline, and di- uh, diligence. And mm-hmm. so he provided that for all the local girls. You know, we all kind of played from around there and went there. Um, and it, we went to a lot of local stuff, but he always had one or two tournaments that were in Georgia or like Orlando. There was a one at the Disney complex, like where the NBA played, um, their bubble. So mm-hmm. we would go there. There's like 10 courts and coaches are lined up, sitting down, they can go to the games. So that was a thing of exposure that I got with them. And then I also played with them and then I got an opportunity, my, junior year to play with Miami Suns which was a EYBL Nike team Mm. that played on the big circuits and man they were they were amazing and uh flew me out there and let me play with them and I just got that I got even more exposure but Mm -hmm. my mind was kind of made up where I was going anyway (laughs) (laughs) okay so was the recruiting process then not that difficult for you because you kind of felt like you knew yeah so my for me, it wasn't as difficult because I knew I wasn't going far from home, like no more than four hours, four or five hours. Okay. And um, I, it came, my most difficult was choosing Florida, Florida State. Um, like I grew up a Florida fan, um, Amanda Butler there, that was, she was a super dope coach. I, I, it was tough between them two, but it was just something about Florida State, the family atmosphere. Um, but my, going into my senior year, that junior year of calling the coaches, all the coaches, answering all these calls, thank the Lord they didn't have home visits like they do now. I, so I didn't do none of that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I didn't even take my five official visits. Um, I took two to Florida and Florida State. Um, but just that process, because my dad was very big on not burning bridges. So we're going to handle this with, you know, class and respect and we'll hear people out and you never know, like coaches can get fired and things like that, you know, and you know, you might be left with a few options. So 
that was that was the more frustrating part with me just trying to keep talking to people when I had an idea that I probably wouldn't go there um but yeah going into that senior year I wanted to be done so I made my decision that junior summer to go okay. to FSU yeah. so what do you think uh was the what sealed the deal I mean what convinced you that Florida State was the place instead of Florida uh, for me, it was the family atmosphere, um, and it was it was from the coaches to the players. Like they knew when you know you know me, you know my family. Like they knew when my brother and sister had games or birthdays, or you know they would always hit up my family. Um, they would let's see, I had track meets. Like Coach Sue came to a track meet. You know. That we would that AAU team we'd be beating teams and another coach of mine like he stayed he was at every game so they were I don't know they were just on it they were on point and it didn't feel it didn't feel like oh they're going to treat me this way and then when I get there it'd be different what I saw is really what I got and uh, the family thing it transferred over in college like there'd be times we had to go into the um locker room like I ran up in the stands to say bye to my family and like coach Sue could have been mad about it you know but she that's just who she was and she knew I was a person first and she knew what my family meant to me like my brother and sister had been all up in that campus and gym and you know cold tubbing and stuff like that so it was just they just really looked out for my family I knew that I would be okay there you know it was a home away from home uh-huh it's interesting to hear you talk about this because I'm from Minnesota and there's only one division, one division one university, and that's the University of Minnesota. So I, I didn't have to like decide between two schools in my home state, you know, it was either Minnesota or I was going somewhere else. Um, but you had two big schools uh, kind of competing for your decision I don't know I guess from the outside it's like oh maybe that wasn't that easy of a decision but well it's cool that I mean even you said that about Minnesota like for me it was a big deal to even play in Florida like I'm a Florida girl and it's crazy I was actually talking to a buddy of mine and just the statistics of um, all the kids that I feel like even in, don't go to these college colleges in Florida like you know some of our talent is going to Georgia or Alabama and it's just, it's interesting to me, but I think, I think a lot of people want to get out of where they're from. Like, I was never like that. Like, I wanted to stay close to home. Now, not too close, you know, but where <laughs> I was at was enough, enough to be away, but easy enough to get back. You know, so talk know. to me about the transition on the court and off the court, like in the classroom and on the court was your freshman year kind of a wake up call um, as far as like intensity of practices, uh, physical conditioning, what was that adjustment like? Uh, most definitely it was the same thing like high school that first year, that freshman year with time management. I, I really struggled. Um, but it's crazy too. We were blessed with that school. We had advisors, you have tutoring. Um, they had all the things to put me in positions, you know, to, to be okay. And just the, I think the transition, transition to like the class schedule like so you may have a class for an hour or 45 minutes and you meet so many days a week rather than high school you were in seven classes for 45 minutes every day of the week so just that was a transition with that in my preparation um 
conditioning, I would say I was fairly okay just because I've always took pride in conditioning and weightlifting and things like that. So I love that. Uh, yeah, I'd and, say because you ran track. Yeah. You were probably a freshman <laughs> that was in shape and kicking butt on, on conditioning days because the majority of people I talked to suffered mm. through conditioning, you know? I was okay, but I'm not going to lie to you. The freshman... 15 is a real thing. Ah. Like I, I, like I was freshman 20. No really? lie. Yeah. That seems hard for me to believe. No. Yes. I was. So let's say I was, um, I was one 50, 55 ish. And I got, I got up to 170. <laughs> no, no lie. I was, so that was the thing too. So with your eating, you know, like you're away from home and they have food halls. So I'm getting swipes of as many meals. They may say you have a hundred swipes till the first semester. So I'm swiping breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, you know, and then they had these muscle milk things uh -huh. that were like, you know, your muscle builders, but it's also like a replacement, meal replacement. Man, we would work out or lift. I was drinking those things and going to the cafe and eating good. So my body definitely, uh, just that piece too, knowing how to, you know, what to put in your body and taking care of your body. Um, yeah, my junior year, it really started to change, but senior year, I was in the best shape of my life. But yeah, that freshman year, whew. <laughs> That's yeah. really interesting. And yeah, those cafeterias, I mean, you have cookies, ice cream, all the different mm -hmm. types of cereals you could imagine. And it's so easy to have some of that at every meal. And it slowly mm -hmm. but surely catches up to you for sure. It is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm -hmm. What else? What would you say are some of the obstacles that you had to deal with over your four-year collegiate career? And um, how did you get through them? Great question. Um, my biggest, my biggest uh, challenge, I had created personal relationships with my coaches, um, especially my, my head coach and the assistant because they had recruited me for so long. It's like, so when they would coach me, I, t I started in the beginning to take everything personal. I was a perfectionist. I, I mean, I still am, but um, I learned, I would just would take things so personal. So if they're getting onto me, ripping me, you know, I would take it personal and I'd kind of go into myself. And back then, you know, they're telling you it's selfish and it's this and it's that. And I would never understand, like, I'm not selfish. I'm not a selfish person, but I didn't look at how things were hindering my teammates, hindering my performance. And I just didn't get that piece. And, um, some, and then it was hurting my, my play as well. So um, through a lot of talks with my head coaches or my head coach and my assistant coaches and, you know, figuring out my role, uh, with the team each year, every year, my role changed, but figuring out what I was good at and just bringing that every single day, not trying to compare myself to situations and, you know, take everything personal. And then my game just, once I found my role, my game just kind of, you know, expanded. Um, but that was my biggest thing, taking things personal from my coaches. And I think that just got better with having communication with them, speaking up to them. I never, Sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to talk to my coach. I'll figure it out my way. And I think once I realized that I can have those relationships with my coaches and communicate those things and then do my part, 
you know, um, I think I got, I became a better basketball player and, and leader after I realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is tough as a young player, you know, I remember not wanting to go into the coach's offices, you know, yeah. like <laughs> I didn't want to go in there. Um, mm-hmm. but as you get older, uh, I think only good things can come of, of those conversations. Um, what would you say is one of your, um, fond memories looking back on college, on your college years? Like, what did you love about the college experience? The teammates, the camaraderie that we had, um, the traveling, like, I just, like my first year, we went to Africa and, um, Italy, that was our foreign trip. Like every four years, the university took a foreign trip. Mm. So I hadn't played an ounce of basketball yet going into college. And I got that experience right away. I went to Cancun my sophomore year, Virgin Islands for a tournament my senior year. And just building those relationships and traveling and just competing, like it really is a sisterhood. Like it's totally different my transition from that to, you know, overseas sees you still meet people and and develop relationships but just that I've witnessed more it's becoming more of a business over here in college you were just I don't know it was just free you were having fun you're competing I know you're just still a kid a little bit you know and I you feel like everyone kind of has the same goal as you that you guys are competing for um but yeah just the camaraderie and relationships with my teammates I I really miss that Mm -hmm. yeah when you went into your freshman year, did you know what you wanted to major in? No, I did not. Um, I, th- I thought I wanted to do like athletic training, like exercise science. They mentioned that. Um, but of course, all the chemistries and anatomy and stuff like that. Um, and then with shadowing, they expressed to me that it'd be really, really tough with being an athlete as well. Um, but I knew I would struggle with those chemistry. So then they offered sports management because I know, or I thought that I would want to do something with coaching when I'm done playing, like um, definitely coaching. I know they have like sports marketing and things like that, but I just, I just saw myself more as a coach. So I just kind of ran with it. I didn't really have a plan to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that sounds very familiar. Uh, I think a lot of college freshmen and just college students in general, you know, unless Mm -hmm. there are some people that have it super clear, you know, but um, Mm -hmm. a lot of students don't. So, yeah. Um, And you got to play in the ACC. Like that is a huge conference, uh, historical, like has a reputation worldwide. Um, Were there any teams that you particularly love to play against? Ah, well, you got to say Miami. That's our rival. Um, that was always good competition. Uh, Louisville was a very good competition. They were super competitive once they got into our, our conference. Um, but I mean, it, I mean, it was like you said, it was exciting. We always had maybe eight teams in the NCAA tournament. So every game was kind of competitive with a lot of the, you know, the North Carolinas and the dukes and things like that that you you see these programs when you're growing up like I'm playing against them so it's it was hype um but yeah definitely probably Miami and Louisville were my favorites to play against um so then you get to your senior year uh you graduate basketball comes to an end did you know uh about life after basketball well you were you were drafted or you were invited to a training camp 
Yeah, no. So I didn't get drafted literally right after the draft was over. I got called um, by Brian Agler, the coach of LA Sparks. And I got invited to a training camp out there. I was out there for maybe close to two weeks. And then they ended up cutting me. Uh, So then literally right after I got cut, I was trying to make it back home for graduation because we had a preseason game. I think I graduated in uh, early May. And right after that, um, uh, then there was the next, you know, what's next as far as playing professionally. So you went out to training camp before classes had even come to an end? So classes were over. Um, but the graduation ceremony was not um, there. So I want to say like April, so end of April, the classes were done. Um, and April 20, I think the draft was the 18th or 19th. And then April 20th, something I took off to LA. Okay. And um, I was out there until maybe May. Can't remember. I don't even know the day. I, uh, it was early May, the first first week or second week of May, and um, we were literally in the hotel, the airport because we had just left preseason games, and they were deciding to cut me or not. Um, and I think maybe three or four days within that time was my graduation. So I was like, all right, well, if you're gonna you know cut me, I got to get back to that graduation. Cause it was, it was a big deal. I didn't realize how big of a deal that was. You know, I didn't think it was such a big deal for where I was at getting to, if I had an opportunity with LA, but after it came clear that it wasn't going to happen anymore, I, you know, I definitely wanted to walk the stage. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what was going through your mind when you did get that call from coach Agler and how did you feel when you were packing your bags and flying out there? Well, it was, tears like I, my, me and my family we watched the whole draft and that whole process was tough just not hearing your name called you know and that's just something you dreamed of but the way the WNBA is also set up me getting a call literally right after the draft is no and getting that training camp offer was no different than being drafted in the second or third round because everyone really isn't guaranteed in those second third rounds you got to go to the training camp and compete so I was just overwhelmed and thankful just for the opportunity you know and I was like man when I get there I'm just going to compete for the spot but it's a lot that plays into it when I got there it was totally different than what I expected so I the way that I felt getting the call and then actually getting in the situation was it's a a total transition who was on that team at the time man everybody they had Candice uh uh um Elena Beard was still playing. Um, they had because they just won the championship the year before, so really everybody that was on that team that previous year came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 12, 12 WNBA teams, twelve people make a roster. Ten of those girls are probably already going to make the team, so you're really competing for maybe one or two spots. Man, you know, it's really like one, and there was. 17 15 people in the training camp and that was without the you know those old heads like Candace Parker and them weren't even there so once they get there back from overseas or wherever they're doing then they start you know cutting people and doing mm-hmm. that so 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like couldn't a couldn't a worse team have called you up for a training camp instead of the defending champs? That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yeah, I, I don't know. It's I guess just the like you said, the right the right team or the right time. You know, I mean, look at LA now. Like LA has everybody's kind of ducking out. Like Candace Parker just you know went to, to Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. WNBA is making moves. They are. A lot of people are leaving places. Yep. yep. Okay. Well, so then that doesn't pan out. Um, what goes through your mind when, I don't know if it was your agent or somebody started talking to you about playing overseas. Was that something that you were excited about? Because I know that you enjoy being close to home and with your family. Uh, so thinking about going overseas, I wonder kind of what was going through your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. Cause all my teammates that know me were like, dude, Bert, we're surprised you're on your four right now, like, because of how I am with my family. Um, but yeah, I, I love the game of basketball and I want to play professionally. And I ultimately wanted to um, get back another opportunity with the WNBA, hopefully. Um, so whatever steps that was taken, you know, to continue to play overseas, just this whole process, you know, I was willing to do. Um, but it worked, it worked out good for me because these uh, agents um, saw me throughout, you know, playing in the school year, but also at a, this combine that they had in Dallas. So there's like agents there and coaches there. And my assistant coach, Coach Brooke, that's now the head coach at Florida State. She, she used to play at my club here in Spain in Estudiantes. <laughs> yeah, she's she played in Spain, like, I think, eight uh, she played overseas maybe eight or nine years. And she played in Spain for a good good amount of time yep um but yeah so her agent kind of her agent she had kind of connected with me and you know that's kind of how that and then we just went from there but so of course he's he saw me play but you know I gotta thank them her and and coach Sue kind of through connections you know it worked out in my favor to connect with him so your first uh season overseas you were in Bimbibre Spain your Mm -hmm. second season you were in Zaragoza with me and now and then you went to Germany and now you're back in Germany again. Um, mm-hmm. If you can think off of the top of your head, I'm just curious, what were some of the cultural shocks or differences that you um, witnessed, experienced that uh, maybe called your attention or you just thought, wow, this is different? Hmm. Well, thankfully, I think Germany and Spain aren't too big of culture shocks. So it wasn't anything crazy tremendous but um maybe just the european style like uh the siesta um things like that like when stores are closed and and people are taking their nap time you know from their (laughs) jobs and their you know or the bars and activity like that drinking coffee all the time and just chilling um yeah, I don't really have a big culture shock. I just think the food was different and me adjusting to that. I had never really experienced European food. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have a real real big culture shock, I don't think. Just what the style, the, the different style. What about the language barrier? How was that? Um, that wasn't terrible. I think I was lucky my first year. So first year, everyone spoke English. Coach spoke English. Second year, you know, Fabian, 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 our head coach, he spoke Spanish, but uh, we had our translators um, and then Americans and you and 
our, we had a couple of Spanish girls that spoke good English. So that, that was an adjustment, but it, it wasn't. And Spanish, Spanish is a pretty language to me. So I still haven't learned much, but I would, I would maybe need it in the future. So I would, you know, that didn't really bother me that much. Germany, I don't really care that much for their language. Um, but yeah, I did, my third year, he spoke good English, the coach. Everyone spoke English, but then this year I'm in this situation um, to where he doesn't speak English. So, yeah, um, interesting. You're in Germany, but your coach is Russian, doesn't mm-hmm. speak much English, speaks some broken German. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's funny. And it just makes me think like, wow, in all of Germany, there aren't coaches that are qualified to be coaching at the highest level, you know, like. I'm thinking about the Spanish league and I'm pretty sure all of the coaches are Spanish. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, just interesting that he well, comes all the way from Russia. Well, I wanted to ask you about that as well. The coronavirus, how did that affect your last year? And then how did it affect your ability to get a team this year? Um, so last year it was really, I mean, hit me in the face just like everybody else so my team we were we only had one loss so we were number one in the league similar actually to what you guys were doing um we were doing well we were had one more game left and we were going to go into playoffs um as a number one team and that I want to say that Wednesday we were going to play that Friday that Wednesday they cut the season so they deemed us still you know the German champs regular season but that would have been so much better for my resume to go win a championship. And I had never experienced, you know, playoffs in the long run like that. So that was wiped away. And um, I was home since March. I want to say July. Um, actually, I had an offer from campus from Ete in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I took a risk. It was my first time taking a risk of thinking I could get something better, which I was acknowledging COVID and things like that, that may affect this in the the long term, but I took a chance. And so after that, you know, it kind of got a little worse. Um, And then I hadn't heard anything, couldn't really get anything. Um, My agent was telling me different places that he thought might could happen in a month or so. And it just was real quiet. Um, And then uh, catheters actually came up in October. Um, but it was an amazing situation um, as far as money and um, just the team and just a lot of different factors and COVID, whatever. There's things, but that was everywhere. So then I was like, you know, well, maybe December, January. I know that teams um, look to resign players or change up. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping after Christmas and then this job came up in Salui and um I knew it probably wasn't the, the best, but at that point it was like, I, I had to, I can't go a whole year without playing. Um, so uh, yeah. I, I ended up taking that literally, I think like December, maybe like right after Christmas, like maybe December 26th, I had to be out of there by the 29th. So it was very, very quick. It was talked about around the 22nd and then like right after Christmas, it was right mm-hmm. to it. Um, so, yeah. So can I ask you, um, did, to travel, did you have to have any sort of like Corona test or anything like that? Or mm-hmm. did you just get on the plane and they let you travel? Mm-hmm. So they, I guess 
actually one of my teammates too, she didn't have to get anything. And they were making a big deal because my team paid for a flight, I want to say the 28th. So I get there the 28th ready to fly and everything. They will not let me fly because I do not have proof of a negative COVID test. Mm. And apparently there were rules that were said that you didn't have to have one. Um, But I guess because Florida or the United States was like a high risk place, they were like, um, Germany would not allow me into their country without it. So it wasn't Delta. It wasn't a specific airline. Um, they said my connecting flight in Frankfurt, I believe, or, um, Amsterdam was an issue. So I don't even know if they even got reimbursed for that flight. So then the whole, I had to wait, go get a test done, a rapid test the next morning, which it was on a Sunday. So I couldn't even get anything. I couldn't get a rapid. I couldn't get you know, the, the longer one, the lab results. So, um, then that Monday I got up in the morning, got a rapid test and was able to fly out that Monday, but it was crazy. It was literally just like a piece of paper that said I was negative. Mm -hmm. Um, but I quarantined as soon as I got here and got another test, but I don't know if it was legitimate or not, or, (laughs) you know, what if that test was a fake, fake, uh, you know, positive, negative, positive. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the situation of the world right now. We got the, we got the British, uh, strain virus strain now in the United States, now in Spain. I mean, there's just no controlling this thing. And the other, the other day, my teammates are going off to their national teams and one of them traveled to Portugal. She got on the plane, went through the airport. Nobody asked her for anything. So Mm. It's like, and then my other teammate, she was traveling somewhere else and she had to present the paper. She had to tell them she had gotten the test. So it's like some countries are requiring it. Other countries aren't. It's just, it's chaos. <laughs> um, okay. So, and how did you maintain your motivation and your passion these last, like, you know, however many months to continue training on your own, staying fit, like, you're hoping and you're thinking that you're going to get a team, but you don't, you don't really know, but you have to maintain your shape and your, you know, it's not easy. Um, yeah, I want to, man, when it hit December, I was really getting, that's probably the scaredest I got the most, I was worried. Um, but honestly that I had, thankfully because of my parents, I was able to have a gym to shoot in. Um, a lot of things were closed. So of course there wasn't many weight gyms that were open. Um, but we had a small one kind of there at the school. So that's where I was actually okay. Um, then gyms started to open up. I was able to play pickup and I also got with this guy. So I've never had a trainer and I actually thought about it and I was like, man, I need to, maybe this is something that I should invest in. Um, so I got with a buddy back home that I started working out with um yeah to just you know I needed something different than just playing pickup and getting shots in the gym and things like that more game-like situations so he really helped me out that and I was just running like I've never ran so much this summer just outside running miles like I was really running trying to stay in shape but it's different basketball shape you know and that type of training it's just it's completely different with the ball yeah. Um, so, so I'm doing well, uh, but actually just getting my legs back. Like I had an issue with my quads just kind of starting back out here. 
I think it's, you know, from that, I've never had this feeling before. Um, and it's not, you know, unbearable, but uh, I just, it was, it was weird, weird to me. Right. Um, so just getting my legs back and getting back in the flow of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was, I was easily motivated because of the people around me though. I think, you know, those people, like I said, I was working out with some people that I hooped with, like, it was crazy actually in COVID we didn't have anywhere to go. So like people started going outside, like I was playing outside and I've never like, when's the last time I played pickup outside? So like, honestly, all the homeboys in the, in the city, like we were playing outside on these nice courts, hmm. just running to like 5.30 to seven, five o'clock, seven, eight. That's yeah, awesome. Cool. You know, kind of, kind of humbling and getting back to your roots type vibe, you know, I yeah. kind of got some of that. So I, you know, I was still okay but definitely discouraged at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and tell me a little bit about this experience you had recently with a guy from an army base. It's an American mm -hmm. army base in Germany. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ramstein, I believe is Ramstein is how you pronounce it. And, uh, as, I mean, I've always heard about it, but it's a American military base. And so this guy, he's now a part of our coaching staff, but he was, he has a gym right next to the base. So he trains, uh, you know, German people, um, Americans from the base. He's got like, he's got this really nice kid. He's like 17, 18 Hooper. And he's just living there on base. So he's like been training him since he was 14. Um, because they, you know, they've been on base, they're a military family. Mm -hmm. Um, so he, that's like his side hustle. And then he helps out our team, but his facilities are, I mean, I haven't, seen anything like it like he's got a nice gym he's got weights um but it's like connected also to this like uh i think like the military american facility so when they rehab they come over there like they mm -hmm. may hoop in his gym they may lift the weights and stuff like that so i think that's kind of how he got connected with it and now he's doing his own like thing with it and this is close to where you live well it's about 45 minutes um which Sometimes when we don't, we can't get in our gym, we'll go and practice over there. But I used to, before these games kind of got started, I was working out with him just, but your girl can't drive stick. Well, now I can, but <laughs> it's a stick shift less. And oh my goodness. Good I, for so, you. Yeah. So I, I, uh, and I, I didn't have my dad or whatever, you know, to drive there and the cars don't have the, the GPS. So I was riding with teammates, but no girl, I couldn't learn how to drive a stick, but. I've been out here for some a month now. I, I got it. I can do it. That's awesome. Driving mm -hmm. a stick, man. I'm sure you have a lot of stories to share and just uh, moments where the car dies on you. It, you know, it, you kill it. You got to start it again. Cars are like behind you waiting. Trying, oh yeah, Germany. They don't play. Trying to accelerate like from a stop on a hill. Oh my gosh. I haven't I, had that yet. Oof. I would get so nervous. I would start sweating, you know, pray, pray to God that the car behind me is like far enough away so that if I right. start backwards, <laughs> I'm not going to hit it. Right. Good for you. So what is this? You share a car with some teammates or? Actually, yeah. So we, I mean, we have seven in this house, so there's two cars. Um, and yeah, we share with, I think I'm usually in there were like three or four of them. Okay. And compared to drivers in Florida, what you think German drivers are uh, better, worse? I'm going to say worse because <laughs> my life, okay, well, they're better in terms of the snow because just seeing them drive in the snow is, 
crazy to me. There's no way I could do it. Like we were traveling one game, the coach did so well, we're slipping and sliding, you know, he's just taking it slow and oh, I did really, really good. But um, in Germany, they have the, I don't even know if they have this in Spain. They have the no, the no speed limit. Oh, the so Audubon. Just, it's just flying less. Wow. Like, Let me stay in the slow lane. Like you're, you might be sleeping on the way to the <laughs> ride into the game. They're just zooming. How fast mm-hmm. do you think they're going? Over 200 miles. Got no, they're not 200 miles. They're like one, one, one something. Got to be. But what kind of cars are they driving? Uh, Benzes. Uh, I see a lot of Benzes in Germany. Um, Beamers. Um, yeah. If, if you're driving, if you're driving as a team, you're on a bus. I'm assuming. Yes, we have a, so we have like a mini bus vans, not like Spain, actually, where we have the big charter buses. They're okay. like little, I mean, one's like a, a minivan bus and the other one's kind of like a, uh, like a moving van type. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't even know what to call that, but yeah. And they're hauling down the highway at a hundred plus. And no, no, we're not. We're not. I'm uh, just saying people, Germany drivers, like, <laughs> no way. There's no way I'm in that vehicle if we're going that fast. No way. <laughs> yeah, I have heard about that, but I've never been to Germany. I've never experienced it. Um, yeah. But you'd have to have a really nice car because I think if you don't have a nice car and you're pushing a hundred, like at least at least a hundred, you're gonna be vibrating. Things are gonna be like making noise. I mean, that's how I feel when I'm in the van. Like the van's <laughs> shaking. They're zooming by so fast. It's crazy. I'm like, geez. Yeah, and you got to even if I had that. yeah, even if I had the the opportunity to go that fast in Florida, I I don't think I ever would like right. it's insane. No. Nah. <laughs> okay. Um all right, rapid fire questions here getting to the end. What's your jersey oh, number and why? 12 um family, everybody in my family were it dad, uncles, brother, sister. It's like family number. Okay. But mm-hmm. do we know why? No, it's just what they wore. Nothing okay. special. Okay. Um, when you go overseas, is there anything specific that you bring with you in your suitcase or your carry-on that you know, like a food product of some sort that you know that you're not going to be able to find? Peanut butter and uh, Olive Garden dressing. Olive Garden dressing? hmm Just like the, it's not ranch, it's not Caesar? Yeah, it's like a, hold on, let me show you. Can you see? It's like an Italian. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, my yeah. mom has had that at our house too. Yeah. I, I, my first couple of years, no, I didn't. But my last two, I'm like, man, they started selling it. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Which is actually bad because the peanut butter is like two pounds. This one's super heavy. So it just doesn't help my bag. Like, but I'm like, I gotta get this on here. <laughs> but yeah, peanut butter for sure. Um. What what brand peanut butter do you eat? I'm trying to remember what you guys Jiffy, had last. Jiffy. Jiffy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. haven't seen any in the supermarkets there in Germany? There is. I did actually. It's. Um, I don't even know the brand, but it's a small little small container of it actually. But I didn't like in Spain. I never found peanut butter. Okay. Yeah, um, Quinn would, she would order it online or maybe she got it mm-hmm. at like Costco or something or her parents mm-hmm. should come over with a big, a big thing of it. Yeah, I think, I think her parents did send her a big package one time. Yeah. 
Um, all right. And what's your go-to bread and butter move on the court? Would you say? In and out crossover. Into a pull-up J. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In and out cross pull-up J. In your yes, face. Sir. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> all right. And I know this is, question is going to be difficult for you, but are there any Spanish or German words that you can remember or that you think are funny, that are difficult to say, or that you just, because I know German, I mean, I have never spent a day of my life in Germany, but I know their words are super long and mm -hmm. have a ton of consonants and I don't even know how to pronounce them, but I'm just curious, mm -hmm. like, is there any word that you've learned or that like, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so difficult. Uh, honestly, not really with German because I don't, haven't really found um, motivation to want to know what they're saying, I guess. <laughs> Sounds so bad, but like they kill me when they say like, bye, it's like cheese. And it's this weird, it's like this high pitched cheese. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So you, uh, say, you say choose, like C-H-U? Yeah. Choose. Like, yes. So huh. that's when they say bye. And then Dankeshire, that's how they say thank you. Uh -huh. And it's just, I don't know. It just cracks me up how they how they say it, especially especially the choose. And I'm terrible because they people say choose, you know, and I'm like bye or <laughs> I don't say it back. I'm I'm awful. But um, yeah, Spain. There's Spain is Spanish is Spanish is funny. I don't know. I feel like there's all the little basketball terms. I just loved, you know, I I I, I did love that about Spain. All the little terms, and once I was learning a little bit. Um, I don't know if I have one particular, but. What about when you would go, you would go to your daily Starbucks run, but I guess that was probably all in English. Yeah. Um, there was a couple students there actually that always were like, oh, she's back. We know what she wants. But um, yeah, they didn't really speak to me much in Spanish. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, and you live in a house right now where you said everybody speaks English. So it's like, yeah. it can mm -hmm. be tough to learn and pick up things when. Mm -hmm everybody's speaking in English. True, which is honestly when I had to learn the most our, my second year with you guys, just because every it was more Spanish, like the coach mm -hmm. spoke all the time, like, yeah, you guys translated some, but it, even with the girls talking amongst each other, like, um, I don't know. And you guys were, it was so much more fun too. Like you care, the players cared for you to want to know Spanish. Like they tried to interact, which Quinn was great too, because of course every Quinn's like, my inspiration like she's over here <laughs> learning it and talking back to people so I'm like gosh like I need I need to get that I need to be more like that but it was the transition was so much easier my second year because it was just so much more fun feeling to want to learn the language and speak to the girls and just being silly and stuff like that I haven't had that in my other my other years yet when can we just say if anybody listening to this podcast wants to hear her episode she's definitely on here but that story where she was practicing her pronunciation in her room all by like, herself. She's <laughs> like, I'm like, Quinn, are you okay? And then I, she's like, yeah, I'm just rolling my R's. I'm like, oh. She, man, she was, she would watch shows in Spanish. I'm like, Quinn, you are MVP. Like, that's, I can't do it. Like, actually, I'm watching Money Heist right now. And people are like, um, however they say it, la papel, whatever, the casa. I'm like, okay, let's call it money heist, you know, but they're like, no, you have to watch it in Spanish and read the subtitles. 
I'm like, no, I can't do that, man. I know. But, People were all talking about La Casa del Papel. La Casa yeah, del yeah. Papel. And I yeah. was like, what show is that? And when mm-hmm. my brother said it was Money Heist, I'm like, right. why in the world are they saying the paper house? You know, where does mm-hmm. that come from? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Shout That's out to me. Quinn. I just saw right. her this past weekend. Her team beat us by three. But uh, That's my Quinny poo. Yeah, it's always great to see Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And final question. I have been listening to a podcast recently called Laughter Permitted, and it's with a woman named Julie Foudy, who played on the 1999 women's Olympic soccer team. And she's been, I really highly recommend this podcast to anybody that likes um, to listen while they're washing their dishes, cleaning, whatever, on a walk. She interviews women athletes, professional athletes, and they all have these amazing stories. Anyway, she ends the uh, interview with high, low cheer. So I'm curious for you to tell me the high of your career, the low of your career, and somebody you cheer for that has like, you know, motivated you or helped you out along the way. Ooh, the highest moment of my career, I'd probably either have to say, um, my senior year in college when we were competing for elite eight to go to the final four. Mm. Um, I still, yeah, I I still don't have, I don't feel like I've reached um, where I want to be yet. Uh, That's tough. Your high is yet to come. Yeah. Last year was, last year was, um, I felt like I was in a really good spot um, basketball wise, kind of where I wanted to be going into those, playoffs and then it just kind of got wiped off so I just yeah I don't I don't know it's been different transitions and someone who I cheer on um yeah or someone uh, you're thankful for I'm actually I'm yeah I'm gonna have to say Kai James actually she's playing in um Spain yeah big post player big post player so that is a college that's my dog man we uh we graduated college together and she actually uh was on my AU team that Miami Suns team ah. and uh just always checking in man she's somebody who definitely I think that uh, she cares whether I do well you know or not and she's always checking in mental state and things like that I do the same um we definitely could do a little better I know that we get busy um but just always been the same since day one so I want to see her do well and she wants to see me do well. So I, I'm going to have to say her. Okay. Small world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you said a low. Uh, my lowest point in my career? Most heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm honestly going to have to probably say my, my senior year in high school. Um, we lost, but that's not really, when you say lowest, you mean like that I was doing my worst or like. Just a low point you- of your career or. No, okay. I'll I'll say my sophomore year in college, uh, just because I didn't know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I brought to the table. Um, just trying to, like we talked about, trying to figure out my role and, you know, why I played basketball. Um, I got to a point where I was super unhappy um, with myself and a perfectionist and just wanting to be so good. Uh, I compared myself to other people and as you know, just a big no-no. Um, I just didn't know who I was. And uh, it's crazy because, I mean, we went to the Elite Eight and almost went to the Final Four that year. I had good success, but just individually and figuring out myself, finding myself, I 
I didn't really know. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I thought maybe you were going to say an injury, but, um, Oh man, you're <laughs> right actually. But see, but, I was, I mean, I was happy that year, but no, you're right. Actually that, um, that was my biggest scare. I've never felt that way. Um, in Spain actually last year, uh, I went up for a rebound and girl came into my knee. Um, and I ended up fracturing my tibia in two places. And, uh, I was so scared. I, you know, I thought that I tore my ACL going back in the back and the Spanish trainer just speaking nothing but Spanish and thinking that I, I tore my ACL. I'm asking, is it my ACL? And, you know, they're saying like they believe so. And just that whole process, driving back, emotional, um, going to the doctors, all those hours waiting, and then just hearing that it wasn't that. And then just the whole process to get back to the States, man, I was, I was blessed and thankful it wasn't worse. Um, but yeah, even just being in that transition on crutches for, um, it was really like two months and just no pressure on it and things like that. But thankfully no surgery. But I once will, again, I yeah. will never forget that day that we yeah. went to the hospital and we were sitting in that room. Yep. And when he communicated that it wasn't yeah. torn. Mm -hmm. I was I, just crying with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I crying looked at you and like, yeah, I think we just hugged each other and like cried mm -hmm. and we were so thankful. I mean, they were just tears of absolute, like, even though you were injured, they were tears of yeah. joy, just knowing that it wasn't torn. Um, well, shout out to you, Les, for, for <laughs> being there with me and you know, just, just that whole process. You were great. You and Quinn both, but just, you know, you so selfless to come with me and, you know, well, translate, just make sure I was good. Like, nah, you didn't I, have any hours of sleep. Like we left at like five or something in that morning. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Super early to get there. But I don't think I've ever had that type of experience before. Um, and so I want to say thank you to you, you know, just being mm -hmm. there, sharing that experience with someone and really like reacting in such a human natural like way was just really moving like I was so happy for you yeah um, you were I appreciate and that. it was just yeah so it was like a low slash high <laughs> yeah I think too like you're um honestly I, I tell people all the time that group of girls on that team like I I knew that we were special I knew that we we're genuine. Like we, we did have love for each other, but like near the end of that season, I seen it so much more. And especially when I got hurt, like it was just genuine love, like caring for one another when we were parting ways, like our little last meal together, everyone's like emotional and crying. It just, I didn't realize how much we had touched each other on that team. It was, you know, we didn't love everything, but it was crazy. Like I was like you said, seeing people in their human form, like showing their emotions and things like that. Like I was like, Oh my goodness, like this yeah. is, this is dope. So it, it made it, it made it easier for me, you know, but yeah. Yeah. All right, Good. Brittany Brown. Well, I got to thank you for your time. We've been going for like maybe an hour and 20 minutes. So I appreciate you. And, um, good luck with the rest of your season. I don't know when you guys finish, if you have what two months left or if you go through April, um, well, I think the last game is like March 14th, but we're competing oh, wow. like we're in the ninth spot. I think eight go to playoffs. So if we can get this last little run of seven games, we might can get in there. So we'll see. All right. Well, best of luck, my friend. Well, thank you.
All right, sports fans, that does it for another week here on the podcast, another season in the books. Thank you for tuning in and as always for coming along with us as we talk with these fabulous people, athletes, and students of life. I hope Brittany's story resonated with you because I know it did with me. Taking criticism is not always easy, even when it's meant to be constructive. But once we learn how to listen without letting our emotions get the best of us, that's when our true potential starts to shine and we realize we are capable and the only thing holding us back sometimes is just really our inner self, our minds, our own fears. At least that's how, that's how I feel in my personal life. But anyway, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day, wherever that might be. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please spread the word, tell a friend, and share the greatness that are these people and these interviews because they have so much wisdom to impart and they're genuine men and women who have worked through a handful of obstacles to get to where they are today. And who doesn't like to hear a story full of passion, fight, and perseverance? As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego!